I'm Georgia Gallagher. I'm a senior at the University of Alabama, and I was a fellow for the Claire Booth Luce Center for Conservative Women last summer. Um, I'm so excited to introduce our first speaker. She means a lot to me because of my involvement in the pro-life movement. Um, working under her as a Wilberforce Fellow and then as the president of my university's chapter of Students for Life. Um, Kristen Hawkins is the president of Students for Life of America. She's also a wife, a mother, a Christian, an activist, an author, a speaker, and a human rights advocate. Um, she was recruited in 2006 to launch SFLA's full-time operation, where she's built up the once small organization into a national team serving over 1,200 chapters in all 50 states. She's a frequent speaker and media analyst with expertise in abortion, feminism, disability advocacy, and healthcare. She graduated summa cum laude from Bethany College in 2005 with a bachelor's in political science. Um, she served at the National Republican National Committee and as an appointee in the Bush administration at the Department of Health and Human Services. She also served on Donald Trump's pro-life advisory council. Um, she published Courageous Students Abolishing Abortion in This Lifetime in 2012, and she has done a number of interviews, um, including interviews on Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, The Today Show, CBS, ABC, and HBO. Her proudest accomplishment is being a wife to her high school sweetheart, Jonathan, raising her four children, Gunner, Bear, Maverick, and Gracie, and in her free time working to find a cure for cystic fibrosis, a disease that's shared by two of her children. I know we're all ready to hear Kristen's tips on abolishing abortion, so without further ado, please join me in welcoming the president of Students for Life, Kristen Hawkins. I only see Georgia at these events. It's fantastic. Well, I want to thank you all for having me. I was so excited to be able, I have to go to the airport right after this, so I was excited to kind of meet you all during the introductions. Um, so the girl in Livingston, you're taking me home. Montana's, that part of Montana's my favorite part, and then the group in Washington, I expect an invitation to come see you soon. I'll be speaking at Western Washington uh, this May, and the anarchists are already protesting me, so you should come up for that in Bellingham. Um, I was actually at University of California, Berkeley last night and gave a presentation. Um, uh, so I'm very passionate about free speech issues, and we had lovely protesters who joined me up on stage for my presentation. Um, I'm also a card-carrying, um, I don't know, I have a license to carry a gun undercover, I guess. My husband made me get it, so um, I'm also a gun rights advocate. Um, but then I'm, I'm obviously here to talk to you today about abortion. Honestly, I don't know what I need to say to you because... You guys prove that we are the pro-life generation just with your introductions. I expect every one of you, though, who said abortion was your number one issue, and there were schools mentioned that I know we do not have a Students for Life group at. So I do expect you to start a Students for Life group after this. I'm so excited that so many of you are pro-life, and I think it shows there's been a definitive shift within the conservative movement. Um, I think when, you, um, when we think about abortion and our fight uh, to to abolish abortion, to make abortion unthinkable and illegal. I, um, I was thinking about it this January in our, we homeschool, so obviously school choice is a big deal for my family. Um, my, my son, in one of his classes, he does a fable class. And my husband and my son were going over, my husband actually homeschools um, our four children. Um, so yes, I'm also living the feminist dream. Um, but they were going over the, the tortoise and the hare fable. 
And I was like, when I was listening to it, I kept thinking about the pro-life movement. And you guys hopefully have heard the tortoise and the hare fable, right? Like the hare is the rabbit and it's like this arrogant jerk, um, always boasting how fast he is. And the tortoise finally challenges him to a race, right? And they start off, the hare zooms out and then stops and takes a nap halfway to the destination. But the tortoise doesn't give up. The tortoise is like slow moving, keeps going. The hare finally wakes up from its, his restful nap, to only to discover that the, the tortoise has passed him. So the hare, like, wakes up and starts sprinting, gives it its all, um, but he loses in the end. The tortoise actually wins the race, right? Um, and there's a lot of lessons from that. But I, I actually think, when I think about the pro-life movement and where we've come in the past 43 years since Roe versus Wade... I think a lot about that because I think about, you know, when Roe and Doe were handed down by seven men on the Supreme Court um, and we were told that we had to accept a legal abortion all nine months for whatever reason, um, I think it was kind of like that Taurus in the hair moment, right? Like the hair zoomed off to the races. The, you know, the pro-life movement was like, oh, okay, um, we're going to get started. And, you know, we weren't like the most sophisticated pro-life movement. Um, we didn't have the best technology. Um, we didn't have all of the money. We definitely didn't have media support. Um, we, the mainstream media was against the pro-life movement from the very beginning. But we challenged the hair to the race. And we said, well, we're going to fight. Uh, and we're going to fix this. We're going to reverse this thing that happened. Um, and we started. And, you know, like I said, we didn't have all the resources we needed. We um, were mocked along the way. I mean, if anybody who's ever served in the pro-life movement, you've certainly experienced it to the women of Washington State. If you've ever been brave enough at an event to say that you're anti-abortion, um, you're mocked, you're called a bigot. I was, I was compared to Richard Spencer, that white supremacist this weekend, for saying I believed in freedom of speech. Um, they said, Kristen Hawkins in the Washington Post defending the freedom of speech it's the same way Richard Spencer defended. I was like... So, I mean, we've certainly been mocked and we've gone, we've gone through the mud, right? And our name's been, you know, we've been, our events have been vandalized. At UC Berkeley yesterday, they took our banner and threw it into, like, the little creek on campus. Um, they step on our crosses. Um, but we, we kept fighting. And I think despite all the disadvantages we may have had starting out in 1973 when we're just challenging this big hair to the race, um, Despite all of that, we never gave up. But the abortion lobby, led by Planned Parenthood, who is the nation's largest abortion vendor, by the way, don't let anyone tell you anything differently of the good services Planned Parenthood provides. There's no good service that you can provide that would undo the damage of destroying 328,000 lives every year. There's nothing you can do that will make up for the destruction of 328,000 lives. So, but the, the abortion lobby kind of got lazy. They started resting on their laurels, right? The poll numbers were overwhelming in their favor. Abortions became, you know, the early 1990s, they were in their all-time high. But we kept at it in the pro-life movement. We just kept at it. We opened up pregnancy resource centers. We stopped. We never stopped, right, like talking about abortion. We kind of became those like weird people that like show up at like the family Thanksgiving meals with like the pro-life bumper stickers on our car. And like people know you when you walk into the room and they're like, oh gosh, she's gonna talk about the thing that no one wants to talk about here, right? We didn't stop talking about abortion. We just kept 
We kept marching forward. We kept moving forward. Um, and I think today you're seeing, you're seeing that moment, right? Where we've surpassed the hair. We've gone past the hair. And the hair, though, has woken up. The hair woke up and is saying, oh, gosh, and is speeding off and is trying to catch up to us. That's exactly where we are today in the pro-life movement in the country. A lot of it has to do with the election of President Trump. For eight years, we had a president who believed in abortion in all nine months, taxpayer-funded, and did everything he could to support the abortion industry. Had you know Hillary Clinton, President Clinton, become president, um, Planned Parenthood would have just moved right on into the West Wing. I mean, maybe they would have painted the White House pink. I don't know. But President Trump won. The pro-life movement won. And the hair woke up. And the hair is panicked. And it's freaking out. We've seen it on college campuses, right? We've had the most vandalizations. I've had, had to file the most lawsuits that we've ever had to file in the history of Students for Life since President Trump's been elected. We've had the most vandalizations of our displays since President Trump's been elected, right? People are angry. They're afraid. Even speaking about the issue causes vandalizations, causes you to be labeled a bigot in your campus newspaper, right? Causes you to get nasty Facebook messages at 2 in the morning from random people you've never met. What we saw this, this January in New York State, what happened in New York State the passing of RHA, the Reproductive Health Act, which now legalized abortion all nine months in New York State, whatever reason, and even said that if a baby was born alive during an abortion procedure, there would be no criminal penalties for refusing to resuscitate the child or giving the child the oxygen that he or she needs to continue living, right? This extremist legislation, which, by the way, only 7% of our generation actually agrees with, they're, they're going forward. And they're actually showing their true colors. And when I go and I speak to like adult audiences at like Right to Life banquets or pregnancy center banquets, I always talk about how we're the pro-life generation, how we have this momentum, how we're winning. And I always see people in the audience like, she hasn't been watching CNN. She hasn't been paying attention to what's going on. No, I am paying attention. And the extremism that we're seeing right now is a reaction to the fact that we're winning. That the tortoise is giving it every, the hare is giving everything it can to reach us, right? The little tortoise. It wants to reach us. They're afraid that Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton will soon go away. I actually think Roe versus Wade is finished. There's been more and more articles written in the past three months about what's going to happen post-Roe America. When we launched Students for Life 12 and a half years ago, I used to go to events and I would introduce myself as, you know, hey, I'm president of Students for Life. We're the nation's first post-Roe organization. And people were like, you can't say that. I had a fundraising event in New York City and they were like, you scared all the rich people. You can't say that. You can't say post-Roe. You sound too crazy. No one believes it's actually going to happen. Everyone believes it's going to happen now. I've had four or five mainstream media interviews just in the past month on what post-Roe America is going to look like. We know they believe it's coming because look at how they act, acted this fall with Judge Kavanaugh's hearing. Make no mistake about it, what happened in Washington, D.C. wasn't about sexual assault. No, they used sexual assault. 
It wasn't about sexual assault. It was about one thing, and it was about one thing only, and that is the issue of abortion. When the women were clawing at the Supreme Court doors the day Judge Kavanaugh was confirmed by the U.S. Senate, it was because of abortion. And if you're somebody, hopefully you're in this room, so you're not, you, you don't feel this way, but a lot of people in the pro-life movement kind of get like, they, they don't like controversy. We just love everybody, right? We just want to support women and love babies. We don't like controversy in the pro-life movement. We're in controversy in the pro-life movement, but it's not necessarily because a lot of us like it. Now, I love controversy. If I could come to your schools and you know you, there will be protesters, please contact me. I will come. I'm a YAF speaker, okay? I love, like, I spoke at a school two weeks ago that had no protesters, and it was, like, the most boring speech I ever gave. I was just like, I was like does anyone have any good questions? Um, I love controversy, right? But most of us don't like it. We kind of like, ugh, tense up, get nervous around it. If you don't like controversy, I'm really sorry to have to be the bearer of bad news that it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Planned Parenthood's actually hired a full-time staff member now in, in Washington to prepare for when Ruth Bader Ginsburg vacates her seat on the Supreme Court and goes home to meet her maker, has her glorious reward. Planned Parenthood's ready. And what happened with Judge Kavanaugh? Hey, you're the one laughing. I didn't laugh at that. <laughs> I was being sincere. Judge Kavanaugh, that was nothing. They've already done two documentaries about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, if you go to Planned Parenthood events, there's like RBG pins and t-shirts. They've made her this feminist icon. They're ready for a fight. And we've never, I would say in our lifetime as millennials, and there's even some Gen Z here, we've never seen anything like this in our country, the level of divide that we will have, because they're ready. And they're, and they're ready to fight, and they're going to fight, and it's always going to be, just remember this, over one issue, and that's the issue of abortion. It's going to be over the issue of abortion. Because we've been duped, right? Our generation has been duped into believing for 40-plus years that our equality, our value comes, and our ability to pay somebody else to violently dismember another human being. The feminist movement says that we're equal, but only if we have access to potentially cancer-causing drugs that are taxpayer-funded, artificial hormonal conception contraception, which by the way, I don't eat meat or drink milk that hasn't come from like organic cows. We all know how bad it is to put dangerous hormones into our body, artificial hormones into our body. But we're told, oh, just take these pills for 30 years and nothing will ever happen to you. There's like no discussion of in our country. So we're told that we're equal, but we have to have access to these dangerous drugs that we're not allowed to talk about. And if you question the legitimacy of these drugs, you're, you know, the, the, tw the tweets are, you're so fat and ugly, no one would have sex with you, that's why you're saying this. I'm pro-life, I have four children, I have lots of sex, it's great. <laughs> okay, but no, that's literally a question. At Boston College two weeks ago, Somebody at one point in my speech shouted out, have you ever had an orgasm? And my husband was watching via live stream, who then texted back. He's like, yes, you can tell them the truth. 
But I mean, that's, that's the level of discussion we have, right? When we talk about these things. So we're told that we're equal only if we have access to taxpayer funded dangerous drugs that we're not allowed to question. We just have to shut up and ingest them. And only if we have access to a special surgery. That's what doesn't make sense about today's feminist movement. I am equal, right? Because of who I am. And I know I'm equal to man. My fertility doesn't limit me. My fertility, actually, I could argue, makes us superior to men because we are superheroes. We can menstruate, we can gestate, we can lactate, we can do things men can never do. So if you want to ask who the superior being here is, it's really us. So we've been duped, right? And that's why everyone's so angry. That's why yesterday at UC Berkeley, we had the women with the coat hangers protest me. That's why when Ruth Bader Ginsburg vacates her seat, the Supreme Court, and we get that seat back, and President Trump appoints a pro-life, anti-abortion Supreme Court justice and upholds his promise to the pro-life movement to the nation, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be pandemonium. I hope you're ready for it. What we saw in New York is the beginning. And when the governor of New York signed uh, RHA into law, he actually said they're signing into law because they're afraid of what's happening with Roe versus Wade. And now Rhode Island, Vermont, Illinois are going to be proposing similar legislation. California, their, um, Connie Leva has said, the senator, um, has said they're going to be proposing similar legislation here. They're preparing for a post-Roe America. And so are we. That's why I'm here to talk to you today is what are the strategies? What are the messages we need to have in place for a post-Roe America? But I hope you feel the momentum. I hope you can see it. 10 years ago, if I would have come to a conservative young women gathering, the majority of women in the room wouldn't have said abortion was their number one issue. Things have changed. They see it, and we see it. But there's a lot we have to do, right? Because the hair has woken up, and let's just be honest, the hair has a lot more freaking money than we do. They're a billion, the abortion industry is a billion-dollar industry. And as much as I would love to be a billion-dollar industry at Students for Life, I am nowhere near a billion-dollar industry. They have the mainstream media in their pocket. They pay off the politicians. So the hair is, like, speeding up, and it is trying to catch up to us. And for us to win that race, for us to be the tortoise and win the race, there are things we are going to have to do, places that we are going to have to engage. The first thing I would ask of each of you, and it's actually a fairly simple exercise. It's a visualization. I'm very liberal. It's a visualization exercise. <laughs> Everyone's like, liberal? She said liberal. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a visualization exercise. Can you envision a nation without abortion? Because most of us in this room have never lived in a nation without abortion. And it's a scary thought for a lot of people. Even people who say that they're pro-life, who say that they're anti-abortion, they're like, ooh, what does that mean, right? Does that mean we want women to go be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen with, like, out cell phones and not being able to work? No. I mean, I love being in the kitchen. I love being barefoot, and I really love being pregnant. In fact, I'm trying to convince my husband just, like, one more. <laughs> That's the problem with pro-lifers. We just keep having more babies because we love babies. That's... But can you envision it? What does our country look like without legal abortion? When I, when I often I speak to adult audiences, I'll challenge them this, with this question. I think it's actually easier for us because we still have hope. 
we know, we've seen the power of change just by starting a hashtag on Twitter, right? That's one of the best things about our generation is we know we can enact social change and we don't have to have a lot of money. But I think it's harder. The older you get, the more jaded you become. You've fought hard and you're still losing. You feel like you're losing. I think a lot of us in the pro-life movement kind of are like the high school football coach. I know I shouldn't be using a sports analogy at women's events. I gotta get a woman's analogy. Um, what's a high school volleyball coach? There you go. You know, moments before the team goes onto the court, and that that high school volleyball coach would tell the team, you know, good job in practice. I'm really proud you gave it your all, but you're gonna get your butts kicked. What do you think will happen to his volleyball team? They're getting their butts kicked. It's simple sports psychology, right? Winners always envision the win. You go and you, you, you envision the win in your mind and you play towards that win. And if you're in a sports team and you're looking for a college scholarship and you've been told you're going to get defeated, you're, you probably, and I played high school volleyball, so this is really bad. I don't remember the positions. But whatever the star positions are on the team, the person who's serving the ball, right? Is it going to risk injury? The person who's jumping up into the net, I was never in that position other in the back. Uh, the tall person who's, you know, doing all the spikes and the sets aren't going to risk injury because they're looking for a college scholarship and they're like, I'm not going to get hurt at this game. The scout's not even here. The team's going to lose because they went onto the court thinking they were going to lose. And that's actually what happens a lot in the pro-life movement. Um, for those of us who are Christian, not everyone in the pro-life movement is Christian. We actually have a pretty diverse movement. But for those of us who are Christian, you know, on one hand, we'll say that we believe in a powerful and almighty God who spoke the world into existence. But then we're like, yeah, we can't abolish abortion. <laughs> Do you see how that doesn't like, make sense? It doesn't really add up. But until we have that vision of what our nation will look like without legal abortion, we won't achieve it because we won't work towards it. We won't say, what is it that we need to have in our community right now? If abortion was made illegal right now in our community, do we have every resource she needs? Will she know about the resources? I would actually challenge, we actually have many resources already in place for post-Royal America. We have more than 3,000 pregnancy resource centers. We have maternity homes. You can walk into any pregnancy center across the country and say, I don't want to have this abortion, and those women will do whatever they can. They'll take you in. They'll find an OBGYN. They'll help you get a job. I would maintain that our biggest challenge in the pro-life movement is actually we suck at marketing. We're really bad at it. Though people don't know. Young women don't know pregnancy resource centers even exist. We did a poll just a few years ago of of pro-lifers, the majority of pro-life millennials, we asked them, if your friend is pregnant and doesn't want to have an abortion, do you know where to send her? They didn't know. Optionline.org, I'm giving you the website right now. That's where you can go. It's a national network of pregnancy resource centers, maternity homes, and adoption agencies throughout the country. You need to know about Optionline. Abortion Recovery International, I'll give it to you as well, for women you know who are hurting from abortion decision or men who are hurting from being involved in abortion decision. You need to have those two numbers, have them bookmarked on your, uh, in your phone. But we need to market ourselves better, because Planned Parenthood's really savvy, right? They're getting half a billion dollars from us. Well, this year they'll get $420 million from us, because we just defunded them, President Trump defunded about $50 million. Um, they're getting about a billion dollars a year. 
half of a billion from us, they have money for marketing. So it's always like a nice, pretty, skinny, blonde doctor in like a white jacket. And it's like, we're Planned Parenthood. Here's all that we do. And they have a national marketing network. Where in the pro-life movement, we're like, yeah, there's like six pregnancy centers and no one knows that they're right down the street from here. That's a problem. We need to do a better job. I think that's why envisioning is a visual exercise. You don't have to do a lot, but it has scary consequences. Because once you start envisioning a nation without abortion, then you're challenged to live up to it. I mean, that's the thought that wakes me up in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh, are we prepared? Is she going to know where to go? But I think that's our first challenge in the pro-life movement, is actually to envision the win, to believe it's possible, and then to start working towards it. Not only in your community, but on your campuses. How do we end campus abortions? So right now, right here in California, our students were in Sacramento just two days ago lobbying against SB 24. SB 24 will mandate that every state university in the state of California dispense the abortion pill on campus, RU486. It's going to turn every college campus, public college campus, into an abortion facility. We defeated it last year. And I'll talk about that in a little bit with some creative messaging and talking points and being a little gritty and innovative. But this year, I think we'll probably lose. And it's going to be exported. The makers, the founders, the writers of this bill have said they want to go. It's going to Washington next. Then it'll be in Oregon. Then it'll be in New York. And we've met with Betsy DeVos. We're trying to get the Department of Education to understand what's going on. We're, we're ringing like the alarm bells. But we have to end campus abortions because this is the reality. The abortion industry sees the writing on the wall, right? They read the same polls that we read, that the majority of Americans reject second and third trimester abortions. Where they win is on first trimester abortions. They also know that freestanding brick-and-mortar abortion facilities kind of have a bad rap because they're kind of grungy on the inside. Have you ever been to an abortion facility? I have. You should walk into one one day. It's nasty. See how they treat you, by the way. Then go to a pregnancy center. It's nasty. And they know. They've got people who out, go outside. They pray. Four Days for Life goes and prays. People picket them. They're sidewalk, sidewalk counselors. So their, their goal is essentially to sanitize abortion as much as possible. They also know they don't have a problem with getting rid of the body. So the National Abortion Federation undercover tapes from my friend David Delayden from the NAF conference. So this is the consortium of all abortion vendors in the country. They get together like this and they like pat each other on the back and like hold hands and be like, oh, my people. So the NAF conference a few years ago, they actually had a session and the abortionist, one of the abortionists said, the dirty little secret is that the, what the abortion industry doesn't know is we don't know what to do with all the bodies. They don't. That's what David found, right, is they were selling. Not only were women paying them to dismember their child, then they were turning around and selling the body parts. Washington State, University of Washington, is actually the biggest trafficker in the country of abortion uh, victim body parts. They buy all the body parts from all the abortion facilities in the state and then traffic, it, traffic them. So they were double dipping, actually getting paid twice. But it actually was a great problem, great you know, problem solver Planned Parenthood because they didn't have to deal with the bodies. They don't have to do with the bodies. So we have to figure out, like, how do we end abortions? 
And that's what we do. And the abortion industry has gotten smart because they've realized, look, freestanding clinics have a bad rap. Second, third trimester abortions, eh, people kind of feel weird about those because they're babies. So if we can get all abortions in the first trimester and we say it's just a clump of cells, it's just a zygote, it's not a human, it's just a zygote. And if she has the abortion at home and flushes the baby down the toilet, we don't have to deal with the body. And so this is what the abortion industry is doing, is they want all abortions in the first trimester, and they want you to do them. And it's also easier for them to market to future abortionists because you're not tearing apart a human being and putting the pieces back together in the Petri dish to make sure no part of the baby is left inside of the uterus so it can cause infection. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is give her a pill, she takes a second pill, and then you do an ultrasound to make sure all the fetus and contents have been expelled. It's very simple for them to market and actually recruit a new generation of abortionists. So that's actually what they're doing. They're taking abortion to our campuses. And we have to fight that. We have to stop it. Which, by the way, I would say, you didn't come from a zygote. You didn't come from a fetus. You once were a zygote. You once were a fetus. There's no philosophical difference between the embryo, zygote, fetus, infant that you once were and the person you are today, right? That's the fundamental pro-life argument, that we are all equally valuable because we all share our humanity. And there's no other point besides that, that point from non-existence to existence, at the moment of conception, when a unique, whole, living human being comes into existence, there's another point where you can say that's where human rights begin. So we have to end campus abortions, and they're getting smart. They want to bring the abortions right to you on campus. They want your health center to do the work. Here in California, the health centers will dispense RU46, and Planned Parenthood will be the licensed contractor to come in and do it. So what are you doing on your campus? If you have a Students for Life group, you better be involved with our Pregnant on Campus initiative. How are you changing the environment on your campus? How are you leaving a legacy of life on your campus? So no woman ever feels like she has to choose between the life of her child and her education ever again. Because that's who the pro-life movement is. We're actually the pro-choice ones. We believe women should have the choice to complete their education, to pursue their education and career goals. We don't believe they should be told you have no other choices because that's what really happens at the abortion facility, right? If you've ever gone and prayed in front of an abortion facility and you haven't done it, I would highly encourage you to go on a Saturday morning at 6 a.m. before the women show up and be there all day. Because the women who go in aren't thinking that they're there exercising so there's some great choice, right? They're not like, oh, just eat, you know, exercising my reproductive rights today. She's crying, looking down when she goes in, and she's crying and looking down when she goes out. She's there because she feels like she has no choice, that she's run out of choices. What are you doing on your campus to end abortions? What are you doing? Because I would tell you, many of your campuses do nothing. Your campus health center gives out condoms. They'll refer to Planned Parenthood, freshman orientation. They'll tell you where the Planned Parenthood. Right now in California, there's a bill on all public student, high school student IDs, Planned Parenthood's number is going to be on the back of the IDs if this bill passes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually going to pass. They're there. They're marketing towards her. What are you doing? 
How have you changed the environment of your campus to say, what can we do? What support can we provide? Can we do free babysitting nights on Tuesday nights from working moms? So for moms to come in and go study at the library or go off to their work-study job and we'll watch their child. Are you meeting with your administration to say, now when she gets pregnant, why are you kicking her off campus? In fact, Liberty University, it was actually two Christian universities that inspired our pregnant on campus program. One at Liberty University, we had a situation where a girl became pregnant. And at Liberty, you sign a code of conduct, and then you have to go from a disciplinary board if you violate it. Now, it's you know, always funny because the girl gets caught, not the boy. So she has to wear basically her scarlet A. And then she was told, well, you can stay in school, obviously, but you can't live in the dorms. It's too much of a health and safety risk. The two biggest concerns and the two re biggest reasons women say they choose abortion in college is they don't know where to live and they don't have daycare. Those are the two biggest impediments. It took three, no gosh, it's been four years. It was just this spring that the Students for Life group got with the SGA, the Student Government Liberty, to amend the policy and now pregnant women can live in dorms until the moment she gives birth. And after that, she can live in married student housing with her child. But that took years, years at a Christian school. It was in another school at Fordham, a Catholic university in the Bronx, had the same situation where you can't live here. Oh, and so when Eleanor did choose life and she moved off campus, they said, okay, well, you voluntarily moved off campus, so you forfeited your housing scholarship. What are you doing on your campuses? And I'm calling out Christian universities specifically because sometimes they're the worst. Because public schools, I can sue you. I can sue you for Title IX discrimination, and we have. But public, private campuses, I don't have that same ability to sue you. Because you actually don't have, if you go to a private university, you don't have the same rights. What are you doing? Have each of you gone and met with your administrations to say, what are we doing to support pregnant women? Do we have lactation rooms? If a girl gets pregnant, are you helping her with flexible class schedules? Do we have a daycare program where students who are mothers can enter their child in the daycare that the employees can enter their child into? There's a lot you can do to end student abortions. So I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, envisioning is a very dangerous visualization because then you start going, what are we doing? How do we end the campus abortions? How do we change our environment right now? When you start thinking about envisioning, and you start working backwards and how we work our way towards our goal of abolishing abortion, I think the next thing we really have to discuss is how to stop Planned Parenthood's predatory business cycle. Planned Parenthood has a cunning business model, and it goes something like this. Get in front of students as soon as possible and build a relationship with them. Don't always talk about sex, you know, and abortion. Just talk about, you know, the easier things, right? Especially not abortion, because no one wants to talk about that. Build a relationship. Tell her, you know, everything's confidential. Come to us if you don't want to talk to your parents. Because they know the earlier you start having sex, the more money that's going to be for them. You walk into their office at 14, get on a birth control pill. Maybe that birth control pill makes you feel like crap because it's, you know, a group one carcinogen. So you come back from another type of hormonal contraceptive. Then you break up with your boyfriend. Your heart's broken. You go back to them for an STD test. Maybe an STD treatment. Planned Parenthood actually only um, treats about 25% of the STDs that they detect, by the way. You go back to them for STD treatment. You start like the cycle, right? And then 
when you're in college or maybe a senior in high school and you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy situation, you're going to go back to your friends at Planned Parenthood. Carol Everett, an abortion facility owner in Dallas, Texas, who's now a pro-life advocate, said that her goal was every woman in Dallas to have four abortions. That was their financial goal at her four abortion facilities. It's a cycle. It's a predatory business. As I mentioned earlier, they're not just an organization that does some good and then does these on the abortions on the side. No, they're an abortion business. They actually have abortion quotas. Their facilities have to meet certain quotas, meaning they have to sell so many abortions a month in order to be in good standing to get, aw get awards. That's, that's sales. That's what you do in sales. I have quotas for my staff when they start students for life groups. Right? I have quotas because I'm measuring the progress of my staff towards our goal. You don't have a quota towards something if it's not your goal. In fact, when Ivanka Trump very naively, it was funny, the Trumps you know, really weren't a pro-life family. I think President Trump converted to becoming pro-life while he was campaigning to be president. And you saw that in like the, the change in his messaging and the rhetoric on the issue, right? I actually do he's, believe he's actually very pro-life today. I don't believe that's true with his family uh, and some, with some folks. But it's interesting, when Ivanka Trump, <laughs> the Trumps naively thought, like, we'll just go to Planned Parenthood and we'll just make him a deal. You can get your federal funding but you have to separate abortion into a separate business. And that way we can say we've lived up our promises to the pro-life movement. We've defunded Planned Parenthood and their abortion business. And you can still do abortions and you can co-locate, but you'll be two separate 501c3s. And this was a private meeting. This was three months after President Trump became president. Cecile Richards leaked out the meeting, right? It went to like the New York Times or Post or something like that. And then she tweeted out, Abortions were as vital to their business as pap smears and cancer screenings. Doesn't sound like they just do abortions to help women. Really? Detecting cancer, detecting HPV, abortion is just as important to you as saving a woman's life? That's what they said. I mean, that's from their own tweets, and they've done multiple things like that in the past few years. So the question is, how do you stop Planned Parenthood's influence? You need to stop it on your campus. You need to stop Planned Parenthood from being allowed into your schools. If you know, if you go to a high school and Planned Parenthood's coming in, raise a ruckus. Partner with parents to stop Planned Parenthood. From, I mean, it doesn't make sense. They're coming in to educate about sexual health to tell women and men to make good choices, but they literally profit off of every bad choice you make. Like, it doesn't make sense. How do you stop it? How do you stop the Planned Parenthood from advertising on your campus, from setting up shop? 79% of Planned Parenthoods are five miles from a college campus. What can you do to stop Planned Parenthood's influence? Think about that. Because there's a lot you can do. Students in Reading, PA, just two years ago, we stopped Planned Parenthood from putting a full-time staffer in their public high school. In Washington State, Cedar Willie High School. Cedar Willie High School is putting a, a clinic in their school. These are now federally funded health clinics. And at first, the Catholic hospital was going to win the contract. And when they were asked at the board meeting, well, what are you going to do for girls who are pregnant? The Catholic hospital said, well, we'll just refer them to Planned Parenthood. Not anymore, by the way. We took care of that problem. There's a couple other problems we can talk about there. But oh, what are we doing? Are we asking the questions of our administrations to say, where do you send a girl who's in crisis? 
Do you have any brochures for the Pregnancy Resource Center down the street? Or only shipping her off to Planned Parenthood? What can you do to stop Planned Parenthood's influence on your campus? The good news is the messaging works. I think sometimes, like, let's be honest, the men in Washington are afraid of this issue. They're like, oh, I'm a man I can't talk about. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Genders don't have arguments, by the way. So men can talk about this issue, but they're always afraid. Planned Parenthood has a big lobbying arm, right? Because they're, you know, a profitable business. Like, they put more than $30 million into the 2016 election. They put more than $20 million into the 2018 election. They're, like, one of the biggest lobbyists in the country. Everyone's afraid of them. But the funny thing is, most people don't realize, like, we can win. On 135 campuses this semester, Students for Life is taking our Planned Parenthood Truth Tour. And all we're doing is saying, here's what the 8,000 federally qualified health centers provide. All of these services. Here's the limited number of services that Planned Parenthood provides. Do you realize Planned Parenthood gets way more money than federally qualified health centers? But yet there's 8,000 federally qualified health centers. They serve more than 21 million American you know, men, women, and children. Planned Parenthood serves less than 2 million. These federally qualified health centers are actually 501c3s. They don't make a profit. They don't have C4s. They don't have PACs. If you go to a federally qualified health center and they don't have the service that you need, they're actually federally obligated to make sure they refer you to a place that does. And if you don't have transportation, they have to find you transportation to get there. But no one knows about these federally qualified health centers. And then we're actually showing students the fact that these Planned Parenthood facilities, because it deals with abortion, actually are investigated. That women's hair salons and nail salons and veterinary clinics in our states are more regulated by health inspectors than abortion facilities that are providing surgeries, are committing surgery every single day. And it's actually really simple. 50% of the students who will talk to us, now a lot of students walk by and we're like, fuck you, and they just keep walking, so that's hard. But 50% of the students who actually listen to what we say and stop and we say, oh, can we ask you a question? Do you trust Planned Parenthood? And they'll say, usually, yes, right? And we're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. We have some information. We have five banners. There's no bloody images on the banners. We're just simply using words. 50% of the students who stop and talk to us, who go through the display, and have a dialogue with a student we've trained change their minds about Planned Parenthood. At the end, when they vote, they get a little posting note, and we say, can you vote again? Do you trust Planned Parenthood? We change 50% of minds by simply having a five-minute conversation and dialogue with somebody. You don't have to be afraid about talking about Planned Parenthood. I know, they're the you know, big, bad abortion Goliath, but we don't have to be afraid of them. You shouldn't be afraid of them, and you can win. We conducted a poll this January that I took on Capitol Hill, which was really funny, because they were like, can you come back and do a briefing for us to tell us how these youngsters think? <laughs> yes, yes, sir, I'll come back. Um, but our poll, we actually conducted a poll of 18 to 34-year-olds, so millennials, the largest voting bloc now in America, and we used the same messaging we use on campuses. And no surprise, we asked students how they felt, young people, how they felt about Planned Parenthood. Majority had positive feelings. Then we said, well, do you realize that federally qualified health centers do all of these services for a lower cost to taxpayers and are, and are actually true nonprofits that aren't politically motivated? 
We had 48% to 17% believe their tax dollars should go to FFQHCs versus Planned Parenthood. That's huge. That's huge. So once you visualize, once you get active on your campus to stop abortions, once you start thinking about how to stop Planned Parenthood's predatory influence on in your community and in your campus, I think the next thing you have to do is you have to mobilize. You have to mobilize this generation. I think a lot of times, especially on campus, right, they want to shout us down. They want, don't want us to have events. Why? Because the truth is powerful. I was banned from a public high school last week in, like, middle of nowhere, PA. It was, like, the most controversial thing that's happened in that town in, like, 20 years. It was hilarious. <laughs> I even offered to do a debate with a teacher who was protesting me. Uh, but, they, you know, surprise, he didn't want to debate me. But we have to go out and mobilize the pro-life generation. We have to under understand that a lot of people want to join a winning cause. They don't want to join a cause they think is losing. And the good news is, freaking tortoises, we're winning. The hare's trying to catch up to us. So that's all you have to do is tell people we're winning. In the poll we released this January, same deal. 51%. After being told that Roe versus Wade allowed abortion, Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton allowed abortion in all nine months for whatever reason, even if the mother doesn't like the gender of the baby. 51% oppose Roe versus Wade. 51% of 18 to 34-year-olds. It's not as scary as they make it out to believe. We actually are a pro-life generation. But you have to go out and can't be afraid. You have to have courage to stand up and say, yeah, I'm pro-life. Yeah, I'm anti-abortion. I love the label anti-abortion. That's what they use to like disparage us. There's anti-abortion. Anti I am like 100% anti-abortion. I'm so proud. I'm anti-smoking. I'm anti-sex trafficking. I'm anti-people wearing all-natural deodorant. Like, I'm anti, like, a lot of things. I was just thinking of that because my plane ride last night. It's California. I couldn't tell if it was the weed or the deodorant. It was bad. It was... I'm anti a lot of things. Like, hell yes, I'm anti-abortion. The top of the mind, when a majority of people in our country hear the word abortion... The top of the mind response they have is death, killing, sadness. Why wouldn't I be anti that? Be proud to wear your little label. I'm working on display for Students for Life. I want to make pro-abortion, anti-abortion stickers. And when we do events on campus, I'm like, wear your sticker. I want people to own the title pro-abortion. Don't let them get away with saying pro-choice. When we talk about abortion, we're not making a preference claim. We make a moral claim. It's not like, oh, which ice cream is your favorite? Chocolate, vanilla, Rocky Road, cookies and cream, whatever. It's not like that. We're making a moral claim. You can't be pro-choice on owning another human being, right? No one in our country would say they're pro-choice on slavery. You can't be pro-choice on locking up people because they're Jewish, and sending them to a concentration camp, right? No one would say that. It's either you're pro or you're anti. It's very clear. It's the same exact thing with abortion. Either you believe abortion should be legal for any reason, and it's, it's nothing. Abortion is nothing. It's just like having a tooth removed. It's not a unique, cold, living human being. Either it's completely okay for everyone, or it's never okay for anyone. It can't be this pro-choice. I wouldn't have an abortion 
but I wouldn't tell somebody else not to. Why the hell not? If you believe abortion's actually killing another human being, how can you say it's okay? I would never say, I wouldn't beat my three-year-old. But if you want to beat your three-year-old, I'm totally pro-choice on that because, hey, it goes on in your house. No. When we say we're pro-choice or we say we're pro-life, but we don't want to tell anyone else what to think, what we're really saying is we don't understand what abortion is. So wear your label. Be anti-abortion. Be, it's okay. But we have to mobilize our army. We have to mobilize this generation. And say, yes, I'm pro-life. I'm unafraid to be pro-life on this campus. I will stand up. I will host the crazy speakers who get yelled at and get protested, right? Like I said, I'll come. I enjoy protests. I won't get upset. We are the majority. One of the things we did at Students for Life very early on, and we still do, is anytime there's media cameras, anytime there's um, any kind of debate about abortion going on in Washington, our students run to the camera. We have our pro-life gen signs. We've transformed the, look, Angelique's like, gosh, Christians shoved me up in front of a camera so many times. We've transformed the narrative because when we, when we started Students for Life, our problem was when people would hear the word pro-life, they would think, oh, that's the old white guy that's like out of touch, right? And that's how they portrayed us. If you looked at a news article, it would be like an old white guy with like a crucifix yelling at like a girl with a nose ring with a keep abortion legal sign. Like that's how they portrayed us. But we've changed the narrative, and we've been very strategic about changing the narrative. I actually, you know, we have men on our staff at Students for Life. We're pro-men. But those poor men, I, like, literally shove them out of the way when the cameras are nearby. Because that's the narrative that they want, right? The one man out of 15 of us will get the shot on the front of the New York Times if I'm not careful. I'm, like, really nasty in front of the Supreme Court if there's men. Like, I've been known to, like, get out of the shot! Because what we're doing is we're changing the narrative. We're transforming the narrative. So people see a picture of the pro-life movement when they're, like, reading about abortion in the Kansas City Star. And then there's, you know, this horrible op-ed or whatever. But then the photo editor has just gone to Getty Images and typed in abortion. And there's a picture of a young woman holding an I am the pro-life generation sign, smiling, attractive. I want people to like, yeah, I want to be with that movement. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to stand up, to mobilize this generation, to say that you're pro-life, that you're anti-abortion. Wear your stinking label. It's okay. Be a David. That's the final thing I'll leave with you today is be a David. There was a book, David versus Goliath. Malcolm Gladwell wrote, he's the author of The Tipping Point. I'm a millennial, so I don't read books. And I'm a mom of four. So like when I have quiet time, I usually fall asleep. Um, but there's a TED Talk, and he did a really good New Yorker piece on his book, David versus Goliath, and it's like 10 pages long. That was like long enough for me. Um, but it was fascinating because Malcolm Gladwell, you know, he, he studied the, the, the biblical account of David versus Goliath, the historical battle, and he wanted to know, like, you know, we all think in modern history that it was this big miracle, right? Oh, my gosh, David v. Goliath. And so, but he started looking at historical David versus Goliath fights that have taken place in our human history. And what he found was that in 60% of the time, if a David fights like a David, the David will actually win. The odds actually aren't stacked up against you as much as you think. But you have to fight like a David. So when you're mobilizing this pro-life generation, when you're mobilizing your army and your campus or your community, you got to fight like a David. The things he found that David's do to win is a substitute effort for ability. 
you may not be the most well-spoken pro-life advocate. You may not have all the experience, but you're going to substitute your effort. You're going to work harder than everybody else. At Students for Life, one of our core values is grit. I am a stubborn, stubborn human being. And we keep at it no matter what. We keep going. Substitute your effort for ability. The other thing he found that was that David's rush forward. They're the advancer. They don't wait for the battle. And actually in the Bible, it says that David went to the Goliath. He didn't wait for Goliath to come to him. Change only happens at the point of conflict in our society. You have to create conflict. Once again, I'm sorry if you don't like conflict. You're probably in the wrong place for today. <laughs> but you have to have conflict to have change. Because guess what? People have to talk about it. You have to talk about it. Rush forward. Be the advancer. Don't let them come to you. Don't say, I live in Washington State, therefore I'm a minority. I can't talk about this. Do it. And then the other thing Davids do is they think outside of the box. They're willing to risk being made fun of to think outside of the box, to think creatively, to be innovative to solve a problem. Here in California last year, we took um, toilet bowls and toilet seats to 50 campuses. And our messaging on this RU486 legislation was very simple. and It was, it was a message for pro-choice women. This is no place to have your abortion. It worked. We had pro-choice and pro-life people signing our petitions because they were like, yeah, I don't want to have my abortion in that dirty, dirty toilet. And actually when the governor, Governor Brown, the pro-choice Catholic governor of California who just he ended his term when he vetoed the bill because it passed and the governor vetoed it, he actually cited our talking points in his reason for he vetoed it. Miracle, hello. But you have to be willing to like be made fun of and to think creatively. Are you willing to do that? Are you guys willing to envision, envision a nation without abortion? To work towards ending abortions on your campus? To stop Planned Parenthood and their predatory business cycle from entering your college, your high school? To mobilize the generation? To be Davids? To be a whole generation of Davids? Ladies, we've got this. Planned Parenthood sees the writing on the wall. What's so cool about coming in today is the, the piece of the Berlin Wall. To see that last remnant of the Iron Curtain, right? Like, I can't wait until we have the museum towards the abortion holocaust. And we show America what abortion is, so America never forgets, so the world never forgets what abortion is. They see those, that wall crumbling with the abortion industry right now. And that's why the hair is woken up. That's why the law in New York was passed. That's why the One World Trade Center, which bears the name of 11 pre-born children that were killed in the terrorist attacks of 9-11, why that building was lit up in pink because of the pro-abortion governor's edict. The hair is woken up, and it's racing towards us. And the question is, are you, are you going to stand in the way? Are you going to stand up and say, nope, I know what our country can be. I know what I have to do, and I know I have to be a David. The good news is the victory is coming, and we've already won it. 
So today and tomorrow, and when you get back on your campuses next week, be your proud little tortoise self. Waddle to that finish line. Okay, you guys have questions. How are we going to do Q&A? Do we have time for questions, Michelle? Okay. Make it a good question. Oh, I don't. There's two mics. Okay. Here, here, and then there. Is it on? Yes, just okay. be closer. So, so many people have abortions and immediately regret them. So how can we as pro-lifers show them compassion and enlighten them rather than immediately jumping to condemn them? Sure, absolutely. This is a huge problem within the pro-life movement, within the Christian movement of, well, we don't want to have this abortion display on our campus um, because women here are post-abortive and it's going to hurt them. Guess what? They're already hurting from their abortion. Whether or not you have that display the hurt is still going to be there. Um, and I think that is one of our biggest challenges within you know, the Christian world. We just had a campus, a Christian school, that made us take down our crosses because they said our crosses were going to make women commit suicide. It's like, no, the abortion they had is going to make them want to commit suicide. We have to talk about abortion. We actually have to bring it up and say, yes, we believe abortion's wrong. We speak truth and love. And then we say, if you're hurting from abortion, we're going to help you. So often, like when, I, like when I was at Berkeley yesterday, when I started off my lies feminist tell speech, which is about the lies of second wave feminism, how sex you know, was intertwined into this feminist movement, the very first thing I said was, here's a helpline for those of you who are here suffering from an abortion decision. And while we as a pro-life movement will say unequivocally that abortion is a moral wrong, we are not saying that you are bad because you've had an abortion. Because many of us in the pro-life movement have actually been party to an abortion. That's why we serve in the pro-life movement. And this is why we speak out against abortion. So I think you just have to be clear. Like, yes, we're saying abortion's wrong, but we're not condemning you. Because we, you know, if you're a Christian, we are all sinners. So we can say something's wrong, but not also condemn the person who sinned. Does that make sense? Another question? Hi, I just wanted to say I'm so like inspired by your speech. Um, it's really good. Um, I have a, a you. I have a bit of a different question, um, not necessarily about campus uh, kind of work. Uh, m my entire family is pro-choice, um, all of them. <laughs> and uh, actually, Wednesday night before <laughs> this trip, I took my mom to see Unplanned, mm -hmm. um, and she's pro-choice, and she came out of the movie, and she was like, it was really, you know, it was graphic, and, but it was informative, but it was also really good, so I just don't know, Ellie, but yeah, anyway, so I just, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to do that, because I was pretty broke at the time, without Students for Life, um, so I just wanted to say thank you for... Did like you do the unplanned challenge? Yes. Oh, so it was great. so great. Why didn't you try that? We filmed you when you were saying that. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. If you um, want to take a pro-choice person you know to see unplanned, we'll pay for your ticket and their ticket. So thank you so much. Once again, email <laughs> us. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you for doing that. 
You're welcome. So actually my question is now, um, how, I guess, I mean, obviously, you know, starting the conversation, taking my mom to see Unplanned. Um, other than that, how can I have these conversations with my family um, and not let them turn like, well, you would hate me if I got an abortion. Like, no, that's mm -hmm. not what I said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, how can I have these conversations in my family? I think a lot of times when we um, think about converting people in our lives to becoming pro-choice or pro-life, I think we think that there's going to be like a magic bullet, like a silver bullet. Like we just say this one thing and there, it's going to instantly be a click. I think when we are in the pro-life movement and when we train students to how to talk and dialogue about abortion, it's about planting seeds, right? You planted a huge seed tomorrow. I mean, the other day. All you now have to do is wait and water it. And, you know, have the gentle reproach when it comes up and be like, yeah, but have you thought about this? Like, isn't it crazy they say we're equal, but then they say we're really not unless we have a special surgery? Like, why is that? Um, you just have to keep asking questions and keep watering that seed. And I think that's what's so hard about us in the pro-life movement. Like, we'll go and do something one time. We're like, we didn't change anybody's mind. First of all, you have no idea because most people aren't going to come up to you and be like, I've been completely wrong or what you just did completely changed my mind. Like, I've only had that happen like a few times. And that takes a pretty courageous person to do that. Um, so I think you have to just keep asking questions, keep exposing them, uh, the person, to um, the truth. And, you know, wear your pro-life T-shirts, wear your bumper stickers, um, keep talking about the issue in a respectful way. Yep. That's it. Yep, we're done. Uh, you can email me if you have more questions. Thank, Thank you, you so Michelle. much. Thank you. This is fun. Thank you. Thank you.